Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hi, Ann Friedman. How's it going? You know, hello, we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was really funny. I'm like, I really Um, don't have much. It's it's so, it's hard to answer like, how are you doing or what's happening or how's it going questions lately. I'm just like, yep, we're here. (laughs) Listen, we are here. I have to say that I'm excited about today's episode because we get to hear from other people and not from us. And, uh... It has been really fun, you know, collecting um, voicemails from listeners all summer about their big friendships, and I'm really excited to dive into them today. Yeah, so this is the final episode of our summer of friendship. Summer, as we have defined it, is ending with this episode, <laughs> our arbitrary definition. And yeah, you know, we write in the book about how much we love hearing other people's friendship stories. And so, you know, there have been a few points on this virtual book tour where we've done like radio call-in shows where people will call and talk about their friendships, which are like hands down the most pleasant uh part of promoting this thing like easily like I could listen to other people talk about the friends they love like forever and ever same 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 you know and I think just like on a (laughs) on a very personal note it makes me feel like very good and also affirmed you know I think that a thing that is always hard about promoting this work um, and promoting any of your work really is feeling like, oh yeah, you think you have something really special to say. And I uh, maintain from the beginning that I have nothing special to say <laughs> and that our, you know, like the reason that we talk about our friendship so much is not because we think our friendship is super special and that no one else enjoys the same kind of friendship. It really is because, you know, the more we normalize sharing accounts of deep friendship, the more people are able to just be open about how they're doing their own friendships. And so the reason that I like hearing from other friends is that, you know, friendship is like deeply important to me and I know that it's deeply important to other people. So, you know, like normalize talking about it all of the time, in fact. It's true. It's, it is very much um, an institution that is made by the two specific friends within it. And so like, you know, even you and I, like the dynamics we describe about our own friendship can apply in, in various ways to other, to other friendships that we have and that other people have. But like the totality of that is, is unique, which is great. And is also what gives me the great sense of like voyeurism when I'm listening to how other people do friendship. I'm like, "Mm, is that how that comes up for you? Like, yes, tell me more. Well, listen, let's dive in. The first voice memo is from uh, Miriam, who is calling in from Troy, New York. And she describes her best friendship with someone whose mom, like her mom, went to high school with. And then their moms are BFF. So I just love this idea of, you know, next generation besties and um, the friendship just like continuing through generations. Hi, my name is Miriam. I live in Troy, New York. My longest friendship is with someone who I refer to as my destiny friend because our moms were friends when they were in high school. And when they were friends and they were growing up and they were figuring themselves out, 
they thought it would be so wonderful if they could have kids around the same time as each other so that their kids could be friends. And now here, my best friend Sophie and I are to this day, still friends, still talking and texting regularly. And even during quarantine, we recently started a project where we're sending each other poems, both poems that we write ourselves and that we just love and want to share with each other. And I'm so grateful to my Destiny friend for always being there for me and for being willing to be as silly as we've always been together. Oh, do you have any friends like this that are kind of like um, the next, the, the children of people your parents are very close to? No, I do not. And this is really making me regret that because I know how special my mom's like best friends were to her and vice versa. And now I, you know, I'm feeling a pull to like email some of their children. Mm. Yeah. And I think that I have, I have sort of tenuous, contacts with with people who I grew up with whose parents were friends with my parents but um nothing that I could really plausibly call a friendship and so the story is really special you know also because for me one of the ways I can tell I'm really close to someone is if I know like their parents first names or like I know enough about their lives to know you know even if I don't have a relationship with them to kind of have some fluency with the people who raised them and there's there's something about that in this in this as well where I think about what would it be like to to know someone in this particular way like it must be extremely powerful so this next one is a friendship that began as a pen pal ship, which like as a child that had many, many pen pals, several of them total strangers like this voicemail we're about to hear. I, I love this, this like analog early equivalent to the way that I think some people make friends now, which is like meeting them on the internet first and developing this this digital relationship before um, or even without ever having like an in-person part of it as well. Hi, my name is Allison. I'm calling from just outside of Philadelphia. I just wanted to tell you about a long-term friendship that I've had with my pen pal of over 22 years now, I think. We've actually met through the American Girl magazine back when there was an article about pen pals and, um, you could write in and they would match you up with another subscriber. This is obviously a very different time. I feel like this would never work now with all the creepy people out in the world. But um, I got matched with Mallory, and she lives in Turlock, California, like central California. And um, so we just started writing to each other for many, many, many years. And, um, you know, eventually we did meet. Um, she came to visit with her then-boyfriend, now husband, and I also attended her wedding in California, and we've met up once since then as well. Um, it's honestly been one of the best friendship relationships of my entire life. We don't really write that often to each other anymore because we're, you know, older and busy, but she's still one of my absolute best friends. And it's really a very different relationship to any of my other friendships because I feel like I can literally tell her absolutely anything and she won't judge me. It's almost like writing in a diary when you're writing a letter, but then it's going to someone. So you know that somebody's going to read it, which is just a really cool relationship to have. Man, I love this call so much. As you know, I am a, a big proponent of the post office in every single country. And this is really taking me back to my own pen pal relationships, some of whom I'm actually still very close to today. And I just, I love this. I love everything about, um, about Allison and, you know, and her like love of her pen pals. Oh, 
Also, shout out to American Girl Magazine for facilitating this friendship. (laughs) Man, do you remember ever, like, as a kid, getting these, like, pen pal requests that were always, like, some sort of chain that you could not drop and feeling the stress of, like, oh, man, I can't be the one that ruins the pen pal chain around the world? Because that was very much an animating force in my um, anxiety in my um, middle school and high school life. I mean, for me, it was when I was younger, but I, I think I acquired a bunch of pen pals because... I have a sibling who is diabetic. And so we got Diabetes Forecast Magazine, which had a like find a pen pal thing in the back. Um, and I am pretty sure that I like weaseled my way into that pen pal scheme. And that is how I got on these like old fashioned mail chains. And I had like dozens and dozens of pen pals. Like I had a Tupperware box I would keep under my bed with like all my letters and letter writing supplies and like lists of when I owed replies to people like... Ooh, like it was a whole it was a whole lifestyle for me like prior to my teen years i know it was a huge lifestyle i remember also just like living in nigeria and the post office not being reliable at all and all of the schemes that i had to go through to make sure that the letter would go out and actually get received this is this is really taking me back man i love this i obviously like we've all made friends online and i think that it is very you know there are a lot of parallels there but there is just something about the challenge of the post office that is really taking me back. Ugh. The challenge of the post office, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, support USPS, please. Call your congressman and make sure that the post office is well-funded and taken care of. My favorite government institution. Mm. Um, okay. Do you want to hear another call? Absolutely. Tell me about it. Okay. I'm excited about this next call because it is about a friendship between two straight dudes who are super into their own big friendship. So here it is. Hi, call your girlfriend. Uh, my name is Bill, um, loyal listener, and I have a friend named Jack that I've been friends with for most of my life, almost 30 years now since uh, junior high days. And we've been in our fair share of uh, relationships with you know, we're both straight men, so we have we've had relations with other women over the years, but we've never seemed to make those relationships stick. And one time we were playing basketball a few years ago, and one of our uh, longtime friends who we play basketball with jokingly referred to us as life partners. And me and my friend Jack like laughed it off, and we joke about it occasionally. But in a weird way, I really do think, especially after listening to your um, Big Friendship podcast, that we have one of those friendships where, you know, girls have come and gone, but we've stayed friends this entire time. And it's evolved and deepened. And we're not the same friends we were when we were younger or in our 20s. When we're, you know, doing typical stuff that, you know, often fizzles out with guys when you stop having those activities together. We've kind of been able to frankly become emotionally intimate in a way we haven't been with the women in our lives so you know as much as it kind of stung when we first were referred to as life partners um you know in a way i think there was something to be said about it you know we have been asked in some interviews about this book whether big friendships are something that only people who identify as women experience and I have to say that like messages like this really underscore to me that it is sometimes a matter of vocabulary and not emotion, like what gets categorized this way. You know, I think that for all sorts of reasons related to like the way 
different genders are socialized related to homophobia and the way that is expressed through society that it is Mm -hmm. like more acceptable for women to kind of vocalize this sort of platonic love and when i hear messages like this and being like oh yeah like the the love is the same it's just the the way in which we do or don't encourage conversation about it that differs um i I have to admit, I feel a little bit of of sadness about that. And also some hope that more stories like this will change it. Same, same, same. Okay, let's listen to another one. Hey there, my name is Kara. I'm calling in from Washington, D.C. I wanted to share uh, a funny story about friendships and reunions. So my best friend, Marissa, and I, we have been friends since we were in third grade. So now we're 29, um, so a long time. And I, I mean, I first saw her uh, as a cheerleader and and thought she was just the coolest, most badass girl I'd ever saw and wanted to be her friend. And so, you know, fast forward a few years, we get into a fight where, I mean, it's honestly a little um, hard to share in that, You know, she was practicing self-harm or practicing, I don't know, but she was hurting herself um, and I found out and she told me not to tell anyone and I told my mom and yada yada, I thought I was being a good friend. Um, But we were obviously strained and um, and my mom and her mom um, called each other and talk to each other and said how we had to get together and um, make up. And so, unbeknownst to me, my mom was driving me to McDonald's one day. And instead of going through the drive-thru, she's like, oh, let's go in. And I was like, oh, okay. And we go in, and then I see Marissa and her mom walk in. And I was just like, oh, my heart dropped. And they sat with us. And, um, you know, told us that it was important for us to talk out what was going on and, and because we were really good friends and, um, it was important to, you know, get past her and, and have a conversation. And so then they left and went and sat at a different table and brought us over, um, french fries and milkshakes or McFlurries rather. And, and we talked it out, um, and it was wonderful. And, you know, we, we, the next day, you know, it was just like nothing had ever happened. And that's kind of how our friendship has been ever since. A lot of ebbs and flows. But, um, we have those get together moments where we just talk everything out and it's all okay at the end of the day. I love this. I love the mom's staging and intervention because. I just, I love that it's so not uh, chill for your mom, one, to like get involved in your friendship, but also I love that two adults were like, actually, this is not acceptable. <laughs> that um, These two are not getting along and uh, you know how I love diplomacy. So this actually, this makes me really happy because I, you know, we've, we've talked so much about on tour about how like part of the issue of friendship is that there's not like there's not like societal support or social support for it. And so seeing these two moms just say like, okay, here is our way of dealing with this is that this is like really inspiring me. I love it. And also a real reminder that like, not just in teen years, but at all kinds of points, it is really helpful to have someone outside the friendship say, um, 
what are you two doing? Like, get it together. <laughs> Maybe you need to actually have a direct conversation about this, you know? And and this is something that, um, like, what this evoked for me is the questions that we've gotten about how, you know, like, what do you do if you can't afford or access therapy with a friend? Or what do you know, what do you do if you know you need some kind of outside guidance? And um, the event that we did with Glory Adam of Well Read Black Girl, you know, she mentioned that she had had an experience recently where a third party, a friend who knew both her and a friend she was kind of having some communication trouble with, intervened and was like, okay, like, let's all three of us sit down and I'm going to ask you both questions. And I'm going to kind of run this conversation in a way that allows you to vocalize things that you're not able to say to each other. And that to me is like, similar to to like the moms here being like all right like let's let's get you in the same room and like figure out what's going on here um it's like the mediation model you know for figuring out a friendship rift um let's take a break (laughs) let's take a break and come back and listen to some more voicemails Hi, I'm Inatu Anand. I wanted to share a challenging experience I had with a good friend of mine, um, someone who I am in big friendship with. Um, Margaret and I met in Bogota, Colombia about eight and a half years ago. And um, we clicked instantly. Um, we started going out together. We were working in the same school. We passed uh, school supplies uh, to each other through our students. It's very cute. Um, and we even had a lot of um, friends in common. So we had like this really vibrant group of friends. Um, one of the things I immediately noticed about Margaret that I loved, uh, that I still love, is that um, she is very intentional. Um, so she was very intentional about how much Spanish she wanted in her life in Bogota, Colombia. Um, by this point, she had lived in other Spanish-speaking countries, um, but she had very clear intentions about how much Spanish she wanted in her life um, when we met. Um, Margaret is white. I'm Afro-Latina. She has class privilege, white privilege. She's got all the privileges. Um, I don't. My privilege is resiliency against, like, <laughs> the shit, <laughs> the bullshit. Um... This is all to say that a year and a half into the friendship, I sent her a very mindless text saying that I had, I didn't want to feel used for my Spanish skills, that I had been feeling pressured to speak Spanish in our friendship, and that I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, It was so mindless, and I'm sure it was incredibly hurtful for Margaret, because it was the first time she heard it, she heard about this. Um, And I'm trying to be compassionate to my younger self. Um... And we sat about it and we talked about it. But what I, you know, now thinking back and having done a lot of work with her and, and on myself as well, I didn't hold myself accountable for the resentment that I was feeling um, about all of the privilege that she had. Um, even when she was responsible or she acknowledged it, um, which is her stuff, but I, I feel like I didn't step into my, I didn't hold my, my stuff. Um, and 
I also didn't have language. I didn't know how to say what I was feeling. Now I can. Now we can. Not because we've we've talked about it and we've cause we've talked about the past and and when it comes up in real time, like now we can do that. But at the time, it was just really challenging to figure out what it was that I was feeling about her privilege in relation to my marginalized experience. Um, I would say, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've done a lot of work in this area and there's still more to be done, of course. Um, but I'm confident, we're, we're, in a, we're definitely in a good place. Since then we've traveled together, since then we've had so many, so many experiences um, and these kind of dynamics have come up and we've shown up to the best of our ability. Um, and I love her. She's my, she's my, she's the homie. Like I want to do this work with her, and I really resonate, really, really resonated with what you guys shared in your most recent ep um, episode about just how fantastic and beautiful these kind of friendships friendships can be, but also how how challenging and how how much work you have to put into these friendships. So thank you. Thank you for thank you for what you do. We're huge um, fans of the pod. I'm talking about her like she's my partner. We're for, we're huge fans. We love you guys. We're reading your book, and we hope to see you on the internet. Bye. Oh yeah, this message. I mean, I think that this really gets to the heart of the fact that like two people can be in dialogue and yet the experience can be very much not parallel, even though you are both talking to each other. Mm. You know, the other thing I love about this message too is really just um, like taking stock of kind of your own bullshit, you know, and just saying like, Oh man, like we were, we were young and we didn't know what we were doing. And I don't know, like being able to have that kind of, um, thoughtfulness, you know, and also just like, you know, like having some compassion for your younger selves, I think is so, so, so important and not letting like every past behavior dictate expectations for the future is really what I love about this letter because I think that the, the people in this friendship are allowing for each other to grow and to change, you know, and I just like that is not something that either of them would have been able to have if they had like quit this friendship when it was really hard. And it sounds like it was, it was really hard in this, like, you know, in a place where, um, you know, like your identity is challenged, which is deeply painful. So mm -hmm. I don't know. This is, this is giving me a lot of feelings. I appreciate this. I appreciate this a lot. And also this piece of it about not having a language for things that are coming up in your friendship. You know, the story that I write about in the book, which was one of my, first experiences with having a friend who is not white like point out like a huge and like glaring thing that I was missing that was causing pain to other people around me or had the potential to you know when he read the book um he wrote me a really thoughtful email where he was like, listen, I actually have a lot of compassion for both of us, you know, in these like early college years, because I don't think that either of us had a full and robust language for what was really happening. And even though we were trying our best and we were having conversations around this, the thing I'm struck most by is how, how much the conversation around how to talk about these things 
both like in an interpersonal way and end on this like big picture social level has has evolved since then and that makes me excited about like what is possible like what are the what are the conversations and things we don't have language for right now that we are collectively working on finding words and labels and shorthands for to help us get there should we listen to another one yeah hi this is stacy i'm calling from new york and yes you can use this on the show I'm calling in to share a story of friendship ghosting that's been really hard for me to get closure on. Um, in the few years after college, I merged a few of my friend groups, specifically one of my best friends from college and one of my best friends from work. Both were women who I spent many hours a week with. And over a few years, we all became really close. And when the two of them would occasionally hang out without me, there was, you know, a pang of FOMO. But ultimately, I was happy that we were all friends. About three years into this merged friend group, my college friend completely ghosted me. First, I wouldn't hear back from her texts, and then I'd get a one-line excuse, and then one day, all of a sudden, I just never heard from her again. Fast forward, it's been almost two years. I was completely ghosted by this friend, and my work friend, I guess, ended up picking her side in what? I don't know. And they've both since been to each other's weddings. I have no contact with either of them. This is the most hurt I've ever felt in a friendship. These were women who I expected all of us to be each other's bridesmaids. It hurt way more than a romantic breakup. And I guess my question is, how do you get over a friend breakup when you don't have any closure? Oh, man, this this is really breaking my heart. I know. It's, it's so heavy, you know, and it's so... Um, it's something that we need to talk about more because I hear this this person, like Stacy, you know, your lack of closure is so deeply painful, you know, and I think that you know, there's there's so many reasons that these kind of um that friendships end in this way, you know, and and even hearing this note is really causing me to to reexamine my own behavior truly and my own um the ways that I have ended friendship, you know, and and the ways that friendships have been ended with me. And and this person is right. Like it hurts so much more than um, you know, some it sometimes it hurts so much more than a romantic relationship. And I think that part of the reason is because in in uh, romantic relationships, in order to break up, you actually have to break up, you know? It, it doesn't make it, like, easier or, or better, but I think that there is, like, a definitive sense of, okay, this is not um, working out that is somehow, like, psychologically easier to handle than never knowing at all. And I just, like, I really hope that we, you know, we are we start to live in a world where we make it normal to have conversations about these friend breakups because... Like I could read um, books and books and books and, you know, listen to podcasts and podcasts and watch so many TV episodes about how you navigate this because it's just, it's a lot. And my, you know, I, I feel really heavy about this. Right. You know, one thing that is so um, difficult about this is because of the lack of direct conversation about it, Stacy doesn't know the whole story. They, they might understand that like I hey, I've been cut out here, but whether it is like some kind of mean girls intentional, like, Ugh, we don't want to hang out with Stacy anymore <laughs> versus whether it's something that like the, the other friends felt was like air quotes happening naturally. Like, I think that there is a lot of, um, there are a lot of stories that people on both sides of this scenario tell themselves um, in order to kind of duck 
a really difficult or painful conversation. And I know like we, we have both been on both sides of that. And um, it is, I guess, other than like really affirming the fact that this is, this is hurtful and hard. It is, um, it's really, it's really hard to know what to say to someone in this position. I hear you. I hear you. Um, You know, let's, let's like talk about it more because clearly the pain is there. Mm. Okay. Let's listen to another one. Hi, ladies. My name is Brianna, and I'm from Los Angeles. I'm calling because I'm wondering how you go about having a conversation with your best friend when there's someone that may want to be speaking every single day, and for yourself, it's something they don't feel is necessary, but it's great, of course, to still catch up maybe one or two times a week. How do you make sure that you have that friendship moving forward still be as tight as ever, even when you have different communication needs? This best friend is also my older sister and truly one of the most important people in my life. So it's really important that we have these conversations moving forward. Oh, communication styles. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. It is true that like, because of the thing that I was saying earlier about each friendship having its own rules and its own specific operating agreement, it can be true that like what feels like over communicating or like totally good in one friendship feels like not enough or insufficient or like just superficial in another friendship, you know, like it doesn't necessarily translate. Like you can have your own personal communication preferences, but like I find I actually do change in relation to the people I'm in, I'm in the friendship with. I think so too, you know, it's also, this is so awkward, you know, it's such an awkward conversation to have sometimes because if you really think about it, um, you know, it's, it's truly like one person saying like one way that I feel loved is by talking to you every single day, which is so lovely, you know, like in itself is such a lovely, 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 lovely sentiment, you know, but being really honest about um, your own capacity to just, you know, be around people and be, um, be social. I'm thinking about that so much, especially in the pandemic, you know, like the, mm. the, that hard line of like, okay, I need some alone time versus I need to be around or I need to be in communication with people is something that in this time is, you know, it's, it's such a delicate and weird balance. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I love this kind of conundrum because at the end of the day, it really is a like, oh yeah, if you're fighting, you're fighting because you just love to, you just love each other so much, you know? And so I think that that's like worth remembering. Right. And, and even this question of how do you make sure you have that friendship moving forward and still be tight as ever? Like if you are actually considering that question together, like I think you're going to be okay no matter where you net out, you know, like, like that is really... The fact that you're both interested in that question is like extremely heartening, I think. Okay, let's listen to one last voice memo. Hi, and I'm Inatu and Gina. My name's Camille. I'm calling from San Francisco. Basically, I'm calling in with an advice question about a big friendship I'm in um, with four other women. We became friends in middle school and have stayed friends to this day. Um, but kind of throughout, there's been a dynamic where one member of the friendship um, has caused conflict repeatedly. Um, she has some habits of dishonesty and um, self-centeredness that have kind of become pain points at various points throughout the friendship. When we were younger, we dealt with it the best we could, which was not that great. But now that we're older, we're thinking about, um, you know, this is a very intentional friendship that it takes time, money, uh, and emotional labor to continue to invest in. 
And I'm willing to do that with all of the members of this group, um, but the one who is often a source of conflict. So now the rest of us are in this predicament where we're trying to figure out how to break up with her, essentially, in the least hurtful way possible. Um, it's tough because I know she considers us her close friends still, but I think I and the rest of the girls in the group are really at a place where, you know, we're not willing to spend money on a plane ticket to, like, go see her or um, include her in big life events like weddings and engagements that are coming up. So, uh, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to disinvest from this friendship that no longer serves us without too many hurt feelings. Ugh, group dynamics. Ugh. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. Group dynamics are tough, man. Like, you know, because... And again, it, just, it depends on who is in the group and it depends like where you're at and it depends like how you communicate. I, you know, I can think of like very good group dynamics that you and I have been a part of and I can think of like very not great group dynamics that you and I have been a part of. And it's just, it's so tough. It's so, so tough. And I think that, you know, it's when you consider that people's feelings like actually do get hurt, it's important to resolve and to think about. Yeah. And one thing that strikes me about this scenario as well is that, um, you know, three of the friends have identified one friend as a source of conflict. And I think one thing I would just challenge this listener to think about is, you know, both in terms of how you talk about it, but also maybe in terms of how you think about it, like, that could be true, you know, I mean, like, people can create conflict. But there is also a world in which maybe the way that three of these friends have grown and changed and the preferences they have for communication are creating conflict with this one friend, you know, like, everyone is part of a dynamic that is not working versus one person is creating conflict. And I think the kind of like, three to one ratio happening here makes it like, oh, if the three of us are not in conflict with each other and everything's going fine and conflict occurs with this one person, then they are the source versus like, actually, like, let's look at some of the bigger ways that that maybe we have changed or that the preferences that the three of us share that are like not lining up with um, this other friend that are creating tension. Because that to me feels like more of an opening for conversation than you're always starting conflict and we want to break up. Like that feels a little different to me than, hey, this feels really easy for the three of us and things don't feel easy like in our friendship with you or what that 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 fundamentally seems to suggest that you are taking some ownership of a dynamic that is not working. Right, you know, and I think also, you know, trying to have um, to communicate the same thing, the three friends need to communicate the same things to each other than they're communicating to this fourth friend. Because I think that so many times so much gets lost in um, in translation, you know, and and, you know, I like I hear this caller on like, oh, yeah, this person has, you know, a, this perceived habit of dishonesty and self-centeredness, you know, and I wonder I wonder what it looks like if you actually tell that person like, hey, the this is how you are being perceived in our group, but we are willing to hear, um, you know, what might be the cause of that, right? Because um, it's very possible that there, you know, there is some sort of like very good reason for why that is the perception. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe like the dynamic really is not working. But I think that 
it's important when you are friends in a group both to examine your like one-on-one relationship with this person but also try to present the group dynamic as honestly as possible and communicate the same things to each other as you were communicating to the person because you know it's a it's always nice to be like a you know the one in the in-group but i think that a lot of times it gets lost the fact that having like other people reinforce your um you know your belief or your your sense that you are communicating well um you know doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going on you are just like reinforcing the same norms for each other right no it totally makes sense and and you know and speaking of things being reinforced like you know i can also imagine a scenario and i i know that you know this voice memo does not have details that go this deep but i can imagine a scenario in which you know this kind of odd friend out felt threatened and is therefore reacting like maybe more dramatically or like you know stoking more conflict than they otherwise would because they can sense this this dynamic where they are like kind mm. of the, the odd one out and it's it's got like this kind of like it's exacerbating the dynamic, you know, like it just, it just like keeps doubling down on like this three against one feeling that clearly has Mm. not been openly acknowledged. And so, you know, I think that's part of it too, is like, I don't know how bad things have gotten right now, but this sense that what would it look like if this fourth person felt more secure in the friend group? Like maybe, maybe the, the dynamic between them and the others would, would not be so fraught, you know, like possibly that they are, I don't know, like there have definitely been times in my life when I am acting out because I feel threatened and like, I don't even clock that's what's going on. Like I sense, I sense some kind of instability or some like lack of intimacy and my behavior reflects that in ways that like are not even top of mind for me, you know? And I, Mm. and, and so I don't know, I think that there is something too about the group dynamics, like, um, almost like prophetic, you know, like, like coming, coming more and more true, the more that the three of them are like, this person is a source of conflict, the more that person feels alienated, and the more that dynamic becomes negative. Wow, you are so wise, Anne Friedman. How lucky am I? Oh my God. I mean, the only reason we can talk about this stuff is because we have messed up every single one of these situations ourselves. Every (laughs) single one of them. I'm like guilty, guilty, guilty. Throw away the, you know, like throw away the key. Fully charged in the court of friendship with not doing it perfectly every time. (laughs) So real. So real. Um, I really loved hearing those voice memos. Thank you so much to everyone who called in. Thank you to everyone who um, stuck around for, um, you know, summer of friendship. It's been very heartening for me. I know. Yeah. And, you know, standard standard plug. You can buy Big Friendship um, wherever you get your books preferably in indie or you can request it from your local library we we love checking up on the the wait list in libraries for our book because <laughs> because that is like our, a, a comparable sales number that we're like ooh, like feeling popular at the library is like wow a dream come true you know truly 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 hey Ann friedman i hope you have a good rest of your weekend is there anything else uh you want <laughs> wait uh, wait you want, wait you want me to know wait Tell stop <laughs> Um, yeah, we also have put together a, uh, reading and discussion guide, which, you know, you could use it for a book club if you do something formal like that, but you could also, you know, find it on our website and use it as a discussion tool. If like just you and one other friend are reading Big Friendship, it does not have to be like a formal for book clubs only, but you can find that at bigfriendship.com as well. Okay, perfect. I will see you on the internet. See you on the internet. Bye, boo-boo. Bye. 
you can find us many places on the internet callyourgirlfriend.com apple podcast spotify stitcher we're on all your favorite platforms subscribe rate review you know the drill you can call us back you can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943 that's 714-681-cygf you can email us callyrgf at gmail.com our theme song is by robin original music composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs we're on instagram and twitter at callyrgf extra special thanks to jordan bailey for producing this episode and this podcast is produced by gina delvac <laughs>